Well, welcome back. What's happening, everybody? Happy New Year. Well, I guess it's too late to say Happy New Year because who knows when you're listening to this. But hey, Happy New Year if you listen to it on January 2 and beyond any year at all. My name is Eric Wright. I'm the host here of the Disco Posse podcast, and you are in for a really fantastic, ultra-Canadian-sounding treat because we've got J.R. Butler and Anthony Flaherty, who are amazing, amazing humans leading out the Shift Group. So Shift Group is actually one of our sponsors, and, and I really, really love what JR and, and the team are doing. This is a great chance to dive in. They're actually both from Boston, but they play hockey, so that makes them honorary Canadians. All right. Really, I cannot mention enough how thankful I am that fine folks like the Shift Group. If you want to check out what they're doing, of course, you can check the show notes below, but go to shiftgroup.io. And uh, hey, while you're at it, don't forget to give a shout out and a big New Year's thanks to the folks at Veeam Software because they got some really slick stuff that they're going on. It's always the year that you should be worried about data protection, data lifecycle, and ransomware. So get on in. Go to vee.am forward slash Disco Posse. It's that easy. And uh, I'll let you know that old Disco sent you over there. And then, of course, who else do I have to thank? But in fact the team at GTN Delta. I'm kind of kind of cheating on that one because that's me. Uh, GTMDelta.com, we're doing some really cool stuff and hopefully if you're into the startup culture and you're looking for some help around technical marketing as a service, we got you covered. So go check out GTMDelta.com. With that, let's get to the good stuff. This is J.R. Butler and Anthony Flaherty from The Shift Group. And so it begins back again. This is fun because I have a rare treat now to be able to bring on two fantastic humans who I couldn't be happier to be in front of. And I would love to be beside at any event, at any board meeting, at any sales meeting, and at any restaurant just to share share some liquids and some food because you guys are fantastic. And I want to I want to keep telling the story. So welcome. The Disco Posse podcast is back. And we got a lot of stuff going on. Of course, we have an event that's coming up. So to the folks that are watching this before AWS reInvent and the now soon to be infamous LV reInvent 22, the uh, GTM Delta team. So my team at GTM Delta and our partner with Myra Media, we're doing a, an in-person event in Las Vegas that's happening November 28th to December 1st. It's going to be super fun. We're doing lots of live streaming and we are supported by fantastic teams uh, who are people focused, community focused, outcome focused. And JR and Anthony, you are among both an amazing set of humans, but also a fantastic organization. So, all right, enough about me talking about us. Let's you talk about you. Uh, JR, Anthony, if you guys want to go give a quick little introduction for folks that are new to you, and let's talk about what Shift Group's up to, because I know a lot's changed since we talked last time. Yeah, I can I can start. Um, so, Eric, uh, we talked when I first kind of launched the business about a little less than a year ago. Um, the business model simple. We, we work with former elite athletes, college, professional, Olympic athletes that are transitioning out of their sport. Um, we train them on the foundational skills to sell uh, disruptive software to, to companies and large organizations. Um, and then we partner with technology companies that are looking to hire great entry-level sales talent. Um, so the model's still the same. Uh, the way we're delivering it and bringing it to market is rapidly changing and improving. Um, and part of that uh, part of that change is, is growth, which is good. And that's kind of why Anthony is now part of the team and I'll let Anthony introduce himself and his role. Awesome. Thank you, JR. Eric, uh, thank you for having us on here. We were excited. JR's talked about this for a little while. We're both definitely excited to be in Vegas with everybody as well. Um, yeah, my name is Anthony Flaherty, director of sales came on a little over a month ago to start, uh, really driving our list of hiring partners. We have some awesome, um, companies right now, like JR mentioned, in the disruptive 
you know, software space, software development, cybersecurity, uh, financial technology, health technology. Um, and the goal is really to just do more with the hiring partners that we have. We have a, an unbelievable list of um, candidates right now that have, you know, gone through our training, like JR mentioned on the foundational and functional skills, and they're ready to be introduced to a lot of these companies and start the interview process. So my goal is to, to come on and work with my team to start um, building that list of hiring partners, have conversations, understand companies hiring needs and see if we can help uh, them grow. My, my background, I graduated in 2017 from Norwich university. I was fortunate, um, to play some semi-professional hockey afterwards for a couple of years. I traveled, uh, the Southeast and Midwest getting beat up by guys that were, uh, a little bit bigger than me. And then, uh, after that, you know, I, I, like a lot of our candidates today, I came up against that question of what's next for me. The, you know, that athletic DNA, that bone in my body is still there. And I, and I wanted an opportunity to continue, continue to utilize a lot of the intangibles that made me successful throughout my life in both school and athletics. Um, and I was connected with JR in my network and he really got me introduced to software sales. Um, I started through an introduction from somebody in my network. I started at a company called Logs.io um, in well, we probably, I th- the irony is I think that's how we actually have already met prior to this because we, I'm trying to remember when it would have been. I'm pretty sure that we, we bumped into each other either at uh, a booth uh, or somewhere. So inevitably I, I, I already knew your presence and name. So I was like, well, now I get to figure out where did we meet before? <laughs> okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. We, I, I've gone to reinvent before. Actually, with Logs.io, I understand how beneficial of a conference it is from a software perspective and also for us, you know, the types of um, customer profiles that will be in attendance, essentially selling the software that they have. Those are the conversations that we're going to be having. And, and there's no better place to get an idea that you need bodies um, on your sales development team than reInvent when you can't keep up with the, the traffic at the booth or you know, you're having a ton of on the fly um, discovery or qualification style conversations. It's a good indicator of if you need to grow your sales development team. And you also get an idea of how many inbound leads your team's going to have to follow up with um, when the conference wraps up. So I've done that with Logs.io. After I left Logs.io, I was there for close to three years. Um, I went to a cybersecurity, another Israeli cybersecurity company called Signet. I was there for a little over a year running our West Coast, um, you know, helping build our West Coast go-to-market team. Uh, we were in the XDR uh, space. So I think uh, antivirus and um, malware protection, et cetera. So I was there for a little over a year up until this summer. I was having more conversations with JR about really the um, intimate side of the business. He was telling me a lot of what he was growing here. It was, it was so exciting. And not only was I extremely excited about, you know, hearing about the shift group business and what he was growing, I've lived this, you know, I, I lived the transition, you know, leaving college, leaving professional hockey and trying to figure out what I was doing next. So seeing the platform and the foundation that we're able to put, um, lay in front of some of these, you know, high performing athletes today is, uh, you know, it's really what, you know, caused me to, to make the decision to come over there, I'll, you know, Jr. being a close friend of mine, I knew the success that he's had in the past, and I knew he wasn't going to lose moving forward and whatever he, you know, put his mind to. So, you know, having an opportunity to help him, you know, build Shift Group has been amazing thus far, and it's just, uh, you know, it's early stages. We're just getting started. Well, that's the amazing thing, and and what uh, I'm I'm a student of Jr. And and methods uh, have been for a long time since the first time we chatted. I kind of he was somebody that gave lessons without needing to be asked, and it was such a a warm thing. You know, there's very few people that I've met in an organization that have such incredible skill, and the first thing they want to do is give it away. And seeing the value of doing that, because. Like what, what you can save that person and that business that they work for so much by just imparting these lessons and then, Hey, business will come, 
let's just be good flipping humans first. And then in the end, when that opportunity comes up, there obviously is, there's deep behavior psychology behind it. Well, you know, it's reciprocation. There's a lot of things that are baked into the psyche, but, but, but he didn't, you know, JR never did that as the reason. It wasn't like, I'm going to tell you a story because I want you to come back to me in a, in a week and give me something back. It was like, no, like this is something I think would be really cool. And that was it. You know, some people are good at giving unsolicited advice. Some people just like to give unsolicited opinions. And that was not the case. Right. And, and you know, Anthony, you already you already showed how you've been able to do that. And that's why I love when you see these these people that come together and this is what we can give to people like as advisors, as friends, as everything, like just take these practices, these methods. And if you take, it's like, what's the, Oh goodness gracious. I'm the worst. So I'm the worst sports reference person ever because I can never remember unless it's a cyclist. I can name every tour de France cyclist for the past 14 years. But uh, I always forget which of the startup coaches is, but it's the famous book says the score will take care of itself. And it is, that is the idea of like, you know, you teach, you don't coach from the sidelines, you coach from the practice field, you coach from the locker room, the score takes care of itself. You put the methods in place, you give the people the tools they need, you give them the combos, you give them the kata, you give them the, the, the how to glue it together. And then you push them out on the field because they can't hear you screaming from the sidelines. I literally was a coach for my, my older kids. Like I've coached soccer, coached hockey. And, and I know that while that moment is happening, you can yell all you want and they, it's, it's, they're not in it, you know, it's so like what you guys are doing is fantastic. And I mean, I can't, I can't talk it up enough because of how fantastic I know the method is more important than coming in you could stand beside that person. You could get on the phone. You could cold call. You could pick a warm lead. You could pick a, uh, something that's middle of funnel. You could pick an existing customer. You could get them to renew. You've done nothing for them on the long term. You've achieved a short-term goal. It's not even a goal. You've checked a checkbox. You've, done a, you've completed a task. That's not a goal. That's not an outcome. So, all right. That's me proselytizing on methods over, over products. JR, let's kind of, how far off am I, right? Am I, is this, and what are you seeing as you've now, you scaled, you're seeing success in, in both sides of it too. We're going to talk a bit about the two-sided marketplace, which is one of my favorite things ever, but yeah. why, why does the method matter? I, because I think like, and, and, you know, sales especially, right? Like every, anybody you talk to about sales will tell you, it's it's part art and part science, um, but really, what like I've kind of you know over the past year, I've really thought deeply about this, Eric. And like when when I when I think about like what it takes to be a successful salesperson, I kind of break it down into like three buckets. Um, I think the first thing is a passion for excellence, and when I say that, I think. If in anything, right? It could be engineering and coding and programming, um, but in sales, uh, especially, there's there's three things that you wanna you wanna really understand to become excellent at. It's it's skills, it's habits, and it's process, right? Um, and I think you know one thing that we found is athletes understand that, right? Because sports is the same way, right? There, in order to be a good hockey player. You need to skate fast, shoot hard, um, you know, be, be able to have good conditioning, right? Those are skills, right? But then there's also habits. You need to, um, you know, you need to take care of your body, go to bed early. Um, you need to pre prepare on game day. Um, you need to eat right, like all those things. Um, and then there's process, right? Like there's certain position you need to be on the ice at the right time. There's a certain uh, place you need to be depending on the game situation, whether it's late in the game, early in the game, whatever. Um, and sales is the same way, right? Like if you look at sales, there's certain skills that you're going to need. You need to know how to ask questions. You need to know how to do elite research. You need to know how to 
build rapport with people. You need to know how to uh, get people talking and and like really qualify the biggest business problems and the biggest priorities. Um, you need to know how to define you know key performance indicators of an organization that are negatively negatively impacted by however a customer is approaching a problem. Um, and then there's process you need. You need to be able to. In, uh, follow up after meetings. You need to be able to set an agenda at the beginning of the meeting. You need to, um, you know, ensure that certain things are happening before you do a demo or after you do a demo or when you're going to do an evaluation, right? So that's the first thing that I think we've really gotten kind of dialed in on those things, the skills, the habit, and the process um, that is important in sales. And then the second piece is practicing those things with intention, Right. I think you said it better than I could have, Eric, about like, you don't coach from the sideline. Um, the way that people get better at anything is by repetition. And it's not like just going through the motions. It's perfect practice makes perfect. So that's the other thing that we've really kind of focused on is like, how do we enforce practicing with intention to our candidates against the skills, process, and habits that we're trying to teach them? And then- the, the third piece is uh, using the skills, habits, and process, the practice and, and practicing those things with intention, specifically to pursue goals, right? To sign up a certain amount of customers in a certain amount of time or, you know, execute against the weekly metric goal or execute against the quarterly um, uh, revenue target, whatever it is. So um, I think, and what I'm fine, what I'm, seeing Eric and I learned how to sell really in like 2006 to 2009 um which was not a great time <laughs> see, if, that's like trying to be a real estate agent in 99 to 2001 like guess what kid this is gonna suck <laughs> but you're gonna learn exactly. hard lessons <laughs> exactly but but in those and and listen in in these types of economies like the details matter, right? Like every, the execution matters and you have to almost be perfect if you want to execute. Um, and that means that we have to get really good at training. So that's like what we're seeing on, on the candidate side is like, all right, we're getting better at like really making sure these kids are prepared, which is a good thing for them. To your point about the two-sided market, that side of the market's pretty easy for us because it's free to our candidates. Um, on the company side, like sales hires are really important now. Um, you you have to get somebody that can ramp quickly, be productive and won't quit, um, right? So how do you do that? You get people that are really well-prepared, really understand what the job is and under and, and know exactly what they're gonna do to get better and have a goal to get you know further along in their career, uh, especially for entry-level salespeople, that's the hardest job. So- that's kind of how, like, I know that sounds simple, but those three things are like a huge mantra for the company. And like thinking about when we partner with companies, making sure that those companies are thinking about it the same way, right? The worst thing you want to do is put a kid in a company who's never going to get any support and be able to practice with intention. So I think it's important. You guys, you have a lot of founders and technical leaders that listen to listen to Disco Posse. You know, when they think about building sales organizations, they have to remember it's it's not about the outcome. You sell the process and the fact that you're going to make these people better than they were when they first joined your company. And if and if you do that, you're going to get really special people because A players care about the process. They care about the playbook. Yeah, if we can win some championships, that's amazing, but but it's about the process and that's and that's kind of what we're 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 preaching it as and anywhere we can. <laughs> well, and it's amazing if you think of like there's there's plenty of live references we could pull from you know there were plenty of plenty of guys and gals that that kept a jersey despite a better offer because they were committed to like i'm here with this organization i'm here to achieve an outcome and i'm going to stay through the hard times and i'm gonna we're gonna rebuild the roster we're gonna rebuild the plan we're gonna execute we're going to do that thing, you know, plan the thing, practice the thing, do the thing. And it's, it's amazing to see that we, there are a lot of people that naturally flow. Like I even joke that I call it like trading season because it always happens. The market starts to slow down. We hit certain parts of the year and all of a sudden 
it's like trade deadlines. LinkedIn just starts lighting up with like, I'm going over here, especially out of the sales side, because quite often, I mean, I got this from financial services background was a lot of the folks would come over right after tax time because it's a big lull for them. And then they basically, they can go over to the new, to a new organization. They may or may not bring their book with them, but ultimately they get the advantage of coming over with trailing 12 month revenue for that first year salary. So they, they basically have kind of like a free 12 months to land and figure it out. And then, you know, they either do or don't execute. And then it's either a one-year gig or a five-year gig. And yep. very seldom is it anywhere longer or shorter. You know, it's like it, and the investment in people, and you know this from your own anecdotal, you know, information and, and experience as well as there's tons of research that it's, you're effectively, you're giving a year to somebody. And if you give them less, you're wasting both your time because you, you cannot possibly evaluate human engagement within a team and within your customer facing ecosystem sub one year, but doing it longer than a year when it's, it's not working is also counterproductive for everybody because you're, so there's this weird, it's, it's, you know, like there's machine learning wrapped around this stuff. It's optimal stopping. It's the secretary problem. There's lots of actual algorithmic examples of where it is. And that's why, you know, you look at optimal stopping has a magic number and it's bizarre, but you, when you you look back on how many times you've looked at, look for a car, look for, you know, a, a person to hire, and like, oh, dang, science is, uh, there's science inside all this. But if you can bring the human experience to it, which yeah. is always the funny thing. And I, 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 sorry, I'm talking too much in this one, just because I'm excited about this idea. People need to understand that machines won't replace people. People won't replace machines, but you have to find where the two mix together, use the advantages of one, map it to the advantages of the other, and then find people that you can build a goddamn company with, with a culture that you care about that you would give to your customer because you're effectively giving your customer the experience of who you hire. And then yet we look, you know, there's all these companies out there. I'm in the writing space. Yeah. How many AI writers come out every day on AppSumo for some $39 lifetime deal? Of course. And then what do you get? You get the same, same crap. I'm like, if you're using AI to write, I hope you're getting AI to read it. It doesn't work. (laughs) And when we look at things and we say like, Hey, it's funny. You know, that, isn't it amazing that bees, when they make their hive, they're perfect hexagons. And you're like, look at that. It's like bees, no math. And you're like, I'm not sure if you checked this out, but it's actually the uh, math represents nature, not the other way around. It's like we've, so all of these algorithms, and even if you read all about optimal stopping in the end, I need shift group to find the person that's going to fit my optimal stopping problem. That's uh, no AI is going to just get poured over a resume and find the right person. No, no, hundred percent, hundred percent. You can't, you can, that it, there is a, and, and as you know, right. Sales has a huge human element, which makes it even harder to think about machines replacing that process. Well, and it's interesting too, Anthony, you've really covered a lot of the game for somebody as young as you are. You know, in that your early experiences, you kind of immediately went into every area. You were doing live booth delivery. You were evaluating how it fits into the funnel. You're evaluating how it fits into the rest of the sales org. You were learning about that stuff. And that is like, that's the difference. You know, there's somebody you can take to a booth and they're gonna be like, okay, what do I do? Okay, great. And then two days later, they're like, all right, what do I do next? Versus when I, if I bring you to a show, you're going to say, what do I do? And I'm going to give you an idea. And then the next morning you're going to be like, you know what we should do together? And that's the difference. That's why you are here versus a lot of folks who, you know, God bless them. They're doing the job, but you, you saw past it and you saw optimization inside it. So what, this must be kind of super exciting for you that, you know, there's obviously risks in, in, in us making these ventures, especially when the market is going, (laughs) but it's also opportunity. So anyways, love to hear what, what excites you about this opportunity with what you can do? Um, For being at shift group, 
Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I alluded to it a, a little while ago, but any, any time in life that you can mix uh, an opportunity to work with, you know, personal experiences that you've had in the past and, and now they're sort of morphing together in my life, uh, it became a little bit of a, a no brainer for me. So if we were to, you know, Eric, if we were to, if you were to be interviewing me, I'd say four or five years ago, um, when I just finished up playing, I was in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I came back, spent a summer in Boston, and then I signed with the team that fall. And, you know, I, I had to make that tough decision of, am I delaying the inevitable of eventually getting a job? I had some interviews in the process and, you know, you probably would have said to yourself, you know, this, this gentleman has a lot of intangibles that we're looking for. <clears throat> and, you know, what we want to hire for a business development representative, I was energetic. Um, you know, I, I was, I probably showed a lot of resiliency. I, you could tell that I was going to be competitive. Um, I had a good head on my shoulders at the time, but you probably would have turned to somebody after the interview and said that kid's pretty raw. You know, a lot of the stuff that, you know, he has a lot of the stuff that we want, but we're not sure that we're going to be able to mold it, you know, exactly to how we want it, or we're not sure what the next six months is going to look like for this person, just because, you know, in that process, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of question marks. Um, so I saw that firsthand with myself and I, and I got passed on by some companies. I was fortunate, you know, to end up at Logs.io, what you said, which was an amazing technology. I got to see, you know, a side of, um, I, I got to learn a different language, I guess you could say. It was a side of technology that I never could have imagined learning. I was a part of a leadership team at Logs.io that came on that was incredible. I got to learn some amazing stuff. But what drew me what drew me to Shift Group is not only the opportunity. We talk about today, you know, look at the product, you know, like the, the finances and entry-level sales or sales in general – like if you work hard enough and, and you have the the habit type of stuff that we talked about every day and you're bringing it, the finances, I don't want to see, there's a lot of um, things that play into this, but the finances will figure out itself. You want to work with, you want to be a part of a company that has a good product and a great leadership team that you could learn from, especially early on in your career. Um, and I'm at a point now where I was willing to take the next step, um, into you know management and, and and into a leadership role that I knew I was ready for, and what better opportunity than being able to do that, but also work underneath you know somebody like Jr. who's obviously been a proven leader in the past. He's you know hired. He's ran teams of 100, 200 people. Um, he's had a ton of success. He's been a chief revenue officer. I just I knew that this was something on my roadmap that I always wanted to do working with somebody like him and it made the decision very easy from a leadership perspective. Now seeing, and JR I'm sure is gonna talk about it, what's on the horizon for us over the next couple months and and how we're gonna change sort of that entry level sales hiring landscape and what we're gonna be able to provide to our hiring partners from a visibility standpoint. And before they ever even meet with somebody in, in an interview process, you know, the opportunity that they're gonna to get to see a profile and see videos on a candidate. So that's like, from a product standpoint, I was very excited there from a leadership standpoint, JR checked all the boxes for me, but from a, a personal, like, do I have the opportunity to get out of bed every morning and believe in what I'm doing and talk about checking a box there? I lived this, I, I lived the fear. I lived through the fear. I lived through the anxiety of, you know, what am I doing wrong? Like, what's the foundation that I need to take that next step to land that the job that I really want to end up at a series A, B, C company that has a ton of upside with great leadership where I can get equity that I could scale with the business. You know, what was I missing? And it was a couple key things that we're, we're wrapping a business around and we're giving candidates a foundation to be able to do that and not worry about if they're prepared enough for the interview process. It's, I mean, it's, well, it's why I came. It's exactly, you know, it, it checked all the boxes for me and, and being able to help, you know, candidates and, and kids that are in the same guys, girls that have been in the same position as me in the same shoes. It's like, what else could I want right now? What I, I often, we find sport 
analogies line up so well, just because we everybody's everybody's got a pretty relative familiarity, in if not a great adoration for a particular sport or athletes, and and it makes sense because we see motivation, execution, outcome. Like we see the stuff, whether we think of it in those words necessarily, but people would be like, yeah, this person's great. You know, uh, and like what makes them great? And if you like back it down with the five whys, you get to the actual thing of like, well, they're from the they're from the town that I'm from. So it's kind of badass that I see they're playing for the NHL or whatever, right? Like there's you see these things and and then we see those in each other and it inspires us to be like, hey, I can do that thing, or I can learn, take the skill that I've got. But in the end, the thing that will always boil down to it is when it isn't going well, are you doing it? Can you do this for the love of the game? And it's my favorite thing to, to say, I'm, we're going to this event and I'm telling people that are coming with me that we're going to be running this. And I said, you're going to come to this event and I'm going to pay you to be there. And you're going to be in Las Vegas for a week. It's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be the hardest week you've worked in the last five years, I said, and it's going to be tiring and it's going to be testing you in ways you didn't realize, but we're going to make it fun. And you're going to come out of this and, and we're doing this because we love what we're doing. And it's always for the love of like, I know this is going to suck. Like at every possible angle, it's going to be the greatest thing ever. And look, when, when it comes down to it, those are the people that attract me to them automatically is, you know, the book that I hand out in my, in my welcome package for my team, which is cool. So JR, I can probably say this, right. This is the stuff that we, we learned together and then that you've always imparted on me, right? Like welcome people on board, make them know culture, culture is how they behave when you're not looking, but ultimately you can instill that culture early and make it repetitive, make it consistent and continuous. So what do they do? They come on board. We give them their onboarding. We do the financials, the legals. We do what you got to do and you get their address. And the first thing they get in the mail is a copy of legacy by James care to learn about, you know, how do the New Zealand all blacks do what they do? And what does it mean to sweep the sheds? As they say, when the greatest scorers on the team are celebrated by the press and by everybody. And then the first thing they do is they stay back and they sweep the sheds while they send the rest of the players off to dinner. And someone asks them, they're like, why would you do that? Like, you're the stars. They said, no, no, no we, we just happen to be the ones that, that put the ball over. But we did this as a team. And what better celebration of it than us to give back to the team that did everything they could. They sacrificed every ounce of themselves on that field so that we could do what we do well. And then we can give back in this way. And it's like that culture, that behavioral dynamic, if you just, if you lay it down early, then when the hard times come and they will come, then it's there. And it's like, like you, JR, like you, I, if you said I was in sales because I got into sales in, in, you know, 1996 and got out in 99, I just said, you weren't actually in sales. You were just standing beside deals that were happening. Yeah, exactly. But, when you when you sell through downturns and you survive through downturns, that's there's a persistence and that pays off. And this is why just the fact that you can do exactly what we would do for an employee, but you're creating everyone's future employee with how you're putting your culture in those people, and they've got stuff that's baked in. Like athletes are it's baked in, it's it's burning inside them. It's such a fantastic pairing. And it's like you start to think yourself like why, why hasn't this been done before? Like, cause it's, cause it's hard. It's hard. And, yeah. but the, the method is there, dude. I, 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 for both of you, you can see, you know, just how much you give to this, but uh, so let's talk about sort of the, the process. Sorry. My Canadianisms come out there. <laughs> We're used to it. We're hockey players. We're used That's to right. Process. You, uh, you know, enough Canadian. Uh, so the, let's talk about that, the process and where things are at. Where you know, a lot's changed. You've learned a lot. What what are some of the hard lessons and the good lessons that have come out of the past few months? Yeah, so I would say the hardest lesson was we relied really heavily on what you just talked about was like the DNA of our people. Um, I'd say the first six months of the year, the first six months of the business, we got by on that, right? Like 
we did a good job preparing him for the interview. We did a good job getting him excited about the opportunity to sell business to business technology solutions. Um, but, you know, ultimately the reason they were successful because that, that's who they are in their bones. Um, June, July come around market market cranks a little bit and it's like, OK, we need to we need to get we need to get them more prepared, not just for the interview, not just for the opportunity, but for what their job is going to be. So we instituted like hard skill training, right? Like account research, cold emails, cold calls, discovery and qualification um, and operational excellence. And it was like, all right, now our candidates are better. They're they're they're. We, what we realized was now they're more excited about the opportunity and now they're they're more prepared for the interview. Great. And they're doing a little better when they started. But then it was like, OK, we need to we need to incentivize repetition and practice and we need to incentivize competition during that process. So what we created, Eric, was a test. So now we teach them the skills, then we test them on the skills Nice. And we don't test them. We brought in outside salespeople. So we we have we do this thing called an assistant coaches program. We had 250 people sign up for it with five years of sales experience. And the final test is administered by those people. So there's not like there's no like you know favoritism because they're a shift group athlete and we're going to give them yeah. a good score. We donate a hundred dollars to the salesperson's favorite charity for the test they administer. And then they gave them scores across those six categories. And then we have a public leaderboard that our candidates can see. And pretty soon our companies are going to be able to see the leaderboard. And then they can actually go in, like Anthony said, and watch the game tape of the candidate doing a mock cold call, doing a mock discovery call, presenting their 30, 60, 90. And they can do all, they can see all of that without ever interviewing the candidate, without ever paying a dollar. So you can have VPs of sales that are building out BDR teams, watch 50 videos of potential candidates and decide who they want to who they want to interview. So the whole goal is like one, incentivize practice and competition to the athlete and two, give radical transparency to the hiring teams that are trying to build great sales teams. And I think this like new platform that we built called Shift Connect, is going to change the way people hire entry level sales talent forever and we're going to we're going to you know we're going to just take advantage of it and try to get it out into the market as as much as we can that's what one of the reasons we're coming to Vegas is to meet sales leaders and and tell them like hey you can hire from any recruiter you can go to a, a job fair but what you get with us is you get guaranteed transparency of what you're getting and you get a kid with a with a really really good foundation on what it means to be a technology sales professional and it is a profession right a lot of people sell software there's not a lot of people that are software sellers and there is a right. big difference and what we're what we're producing is a generation of professional technology sales people and that's like the most exciting thing that we're working on i think what we need to come out with is a is a, a just enough sales skills you know little mini market for marketers and yeah. for engineers, like that's the one thing that, it, and what you just said is pretty important. There are a lot of people selling software, but there are not as many software sellers. And I am not a soft, I've sold a bunch of software, whether directly or indirectly, but I'm not a software seller, right? It's not, I may have acquired the skills, but it's because I just, I'm kind of an idiot and I need to figure stuff out to the deepest possible level so I can optimize every piece of my experience just to see how it works. And then like, once that happens, my, I mean, I'm passionate about it. I always am. And I'm, I'm passionate about the process and the, how it works. But in the end, I don't ever want the dependency of carrying a bag as they say, you know, being a quarter carrying rep. That being said, so what kind of an idiot I am, am I that I co-found a company where I'm 100% responsible for sales and everything, but I still don't feel like I'm in sales. Yes. Yeah. I know what you uh, mean. Uh, so, but it one thing to everybody, everybody needs to learn these techniques, right? There's a reason why I would listen to the things that watch the, when you would come in with a book and put it on your desk, I would go and I would Amazon Kindle that book that day, whatever it was, I would just like, JR is reading this. I'm going to go, I'm going to download that book. And that taught me of like, how to 
how do elite performers behave? You know, I don't need to learn about the the science of it. I just need to watch how you approach it and the science will come. I'll, I'll yeah. learn, which is, which is kind of cool. And, and same thing, like Anthony, you look at from the performance side as a human performance, right? We have a, one of the worst things that people do is they look at sport, elite sport, you know, players, whatever they are, or even moderate players. And you like, there's people that will shine. They got medals, they got trophies, they get a pro gig. And you like, you want to tell me like, you know how many people are running this league that you're never going to know the name of? Do you know how many farm leagues have the most incredible players that should have been caught and brought up, but maybe they didn't. Then some that got pushed up that maybe shouldn't Alexander Dague, just saying, but like there's enough guys that, and girls that are, that we'll never know the names of, but they've got the skill and they're going to take that and apply it to something. So I I'll call it the, the a minus players, which I think is the best thing ever. I don't want the trophy seekers. I want somebody who wants the team to have a trophy. Right? So Anthony, in your own personal journey, right? How did you know that you wanted it, but then facing that moment where you're like, whew, okay, I've got a, I got a life cycle that my body can take. I've got a skill level that's relative to my peers. I have to make a decision. And how did you feel? when you knew that there was a, a life cycle to your professional career and what was that personal journey like as you had to think about I, where, where's the end game for me? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's something that you always, you always know is there for some people, their body tells them a little bit earlier, your, you know, performance, it depends on the type of, player you are your your performance sometimes catches up to you or what what you were doing I think I was at um you know a level although there was a lot of elite players around me and it took um you know the skill level was was very high you you understand that there's you know there's life after the sport that you're in so you know that that decision although um you know I was excited for the for the next talking about the next part of my journey, I was extremely excited, especially having people in my network that I was able to lean on. And, you know, I was always very curious. Uh, I was always having, you know, calls with people, networking, trying to get a better understanding of what their day-to-day -day looked like. And, you know, I was excited for the next chapter. So when I, when I had to make that decision, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate. I'll never change, um, I'll never change anything that any parts of my career. Um, and now I'm in a spot that, you know, I have an attachment to what I'm doing in my day to day that, you know, I might as well be, you know, playing college or professional hockey because the team that, you know, JR has built and the people around me, it, it's no different than being in a foxhole, like in a tough game on a Friday night or a Saturday night. It's just, you're coming up against the same challenges in the day to day. And, um, so I, I feel the same level of attachment to what I'm doing now as, you know, I did six, seven years ago when I was playing in a big game. It's just, and that's not everybody has that. I'm, I'm fortunate and it's, you know, it's, yeah, I, I guess I'm blessed to, uh, to have that. And the, the reason why I kind of talk about the A minus player in a way, because we, we often get this problem of like, they're going to be incredibly powerful producers, but they aren't necessarily the person that you're going to want on the team. Cause there is a really careful dynamic to an incredible personal, you know, delivery of results, but that will not map. So I, I'm, I always say I'm type A minus because I'm not, I'm not the leader. I'm not like, I can take a leadership role. I, but I'm a coach more than a, than a top player. The first thing I do is like immediately look, how can I make the group around me better? How can I help their experience be better? And, you know, I always say to my, like 
the greatest thing I will ever achieve in life is helping somebody else achieve the greatest thing in their life. That's I, I, I am the product of my peers success. And, you know, you've seen that. And Anthony, again, being very recently out of that ecosystem, who don't name names necessarily feel free to, that's fine. It's an open podcast. Who are the people that you saw that were like great performer? They deliver results. They deliver goals. They deliver KPIs, whether it's on the ice, off the ice, on the field, off the field, but you're like, wouldn't hire them. Or like, I wouldn't recommend them to go to a team. When, when they go to another team, you're like, I'm going to miss the numbers, but I ain't going to miss the guy. Like yeah. how often do you see that? Um, I think there's, there's one-off scenarios that, that you can always recognize. Um, I, I would try, I tried to do as good of a job as I could of of not, you know, holding my thumb on that for, for any individual all the time. I, I, I give typically try to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, there's some scenarios just very recently, there was somebody, and this is before I started at shift, somebody very close um in my network had had asked me about um somebody that I had played with in the past that they were looking to hire them actually in a in a sales role and I had to be honest with them I said I think this person is a a high performer they would probably do well they would be consistent at their job I don't necessarily know it's someone that I would want to I would want to jump on you know a stand up call every morning with um and he took that information. And I think that's exactly, you know, he had a couple calls with this person already. And I think that's what he had felt in his stomach. So I just confirmed that, but, um, you, yeah, uh, you notice it. I mean, and, and that's, that's part of, you know, you end up in a leadership role and, and building a great team. There's no secret that, you know, certain coaches have success, um, you know, at so many levels or year over year, it's not because they have the best players. It's because they understand the and they have an ability to build the best team possible. And they, they know how guys will play off each other and the dynamic around different personalities. And, okay, we really need this guy, but if we get this guy, is he going to affect this person's personality? It's, you know, there's so many things that go into that type of stuff in the back end. And I personally would would try to um you know it's it's tough not to to recognize that stuff but i would give like i said try to give people the benefit of the doubt and just look at you know when they were on my team what they brought to the table well that's a that's a you're you're aged beyond your years my friend <laughs> because that is a there's an empathy in that description that's pretty powerful that a lot of people don't even may not even recognize. Right? And I would say I, I, my description of this is like, I had a guy throw a coffee at me on a bike one day and this is not abnormal when you're driving, riding into downtown Toronto or downtown Vancouver on the way to work and everybody's in rush hour and they see a bike go by and, and uh, well, you know, some guy cut me off. I yelled at him. He threw a coffee at me and every part of me says, you know, F that guy. But immediately I had this empathy of like, he didn't throw a coffee at me. He threw a coffee at an image of a problem that he's been facing for either a day, an hour. Somebody cut him off 20 minutes ago and he's now playing that out in this moment. Like there's, he had the fight or flight. It took 20 minutes and now I'm the guy getting the fight. And I try to put that moment into context and then think, and but it, sometimes you can put that moment into context, and then after you get four coffees thrown at you by the same car, you're like, yeah, that just that dude's a problem. <laughs> like yeah. there will be consistency, but I love that you've already recognized that there's so much context to behavior, and it can come in both sides of like, hey, great performer. All right, let's put it in context. Be careful. They had a great team around them. You just may not have seen it. Or hey, they are kind of loud on mic and they said bad stuff about their team. Like, yeah, you didn't see that they were going through a divorce at the same time. Yeah. But there, if you bring all the context together and like, like JR, you've done this too, right? Where you, we see people that perform well, especially when someone comes in from the outside 
And boy, oh boy, A player, A player, alpha, alpha, new methods. We're going to scrap what you're doing. We're going to start all over. And you're like, whoa, whoa, no, hang on, hang on. <laughs> like mo- methods, people, habits, they will change as a company organization grows and as a sales motion grows, right? The from zero to 5 million, five to 15, 15 to 25, they're fundamentally different models. So when we look at those behaviors, when we look at building the players that fit, let's talk about context. How do you map the organization's goals with what they need to hire for now, but also keep an eye on what's next? Can you, so, so can you ask that question again? Yeah. Like when, when you, when you talk to an organization, they're saying like, I need 10 salespeople. This is where we are as a business. And and you, you can't just think, okay, I got, I got 10 people. You're like, like, how do you apply context and, and trajectory into the decision of who you bring into that team? Yeah. Um, that's a good question, actually. And it is a question we ask back, um, which is like, what's the what's the growth path for these individuals, right? Because that's important when you think about hiring. And Eric, you'll remember this from our shared experience at a, at a company where when you looked around the other departments in the organization, whether it was like customer success, sales engineering, marketing, right? Most a lot of those folks when they entered the business were BDRs, right? right? And it was a really, really good way to ingratiate people into the culture and the and the and the mission and understand the customer, the personas, and like how we solve those problems uniquely. Um, but then expand those opportunities for those BDRs to go into other other parts of the business and have a massive impact, right? So that's an important question we ask companies because if they're like, listen, we want, we, we literally want BDRs to be our bullpen for sales executives and that's it. Okay. That's a different, that's a different kid, right? That's a different uh, candidate than, Hey, like we see an opportunity where BDR is a good foot in the door and then we can, we can expand. Like we have a company that we work with, Eric, they're in Boston um, they were publicly traded. They're now private equity owned, but they have had 22 different career paths for BDRs. They have BDRs that in 20 wow. have gone 22 wow. different ways, right? The type of kid that we put in front of them is much different than another company in Boston we work with. That's like, this is our bullpen. These are our, our account executive minor leagues. And every kid that's going to become BDR, we want to put them into the AE seat as quickly as possible. So I think like thinking about like, not just how you're going to build your sales organization, but how you're going to build your organization in general is a really important thing to think about when you're when you're developing the profile for all your entry level roles. Um, that's a huge piece. And then I think the other piece is thinking about how dynamic is your actual technology, right? Because selling you're selling to one persona today with one message. Is that going to be the same in like three or four years? I did a call today with the guy who was a VP of sales at Rubrik for like three years. Eric, you'll love this. And he was like, yeah. He's like, when I started, we sold dumb storage, like dumb storage backup. That was what we did, right? They're a security and ransomware company now. Yeah. Like if you don't, and, 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 you know, maybe they knew that, maybe they didn't, but hopefully the way they hired was in a way where it's like, hey, we might have to pivot a little bit. And our technology, like Turbo is a very good example where we touched so much of the stack where we ended up selling so much, like, you know, talking about ServiceNow integration, talking about like that was much different than it was like, hey, here's a cool dashboard that will show you where there's problems and give you answers. As we progressed as an organization, we needed really the people who succeeded in those later years with us were the were the reps that were super dynamic and the people that were super dynamic. So like right. I think there's a couple factors to really think about when you think about that entry level profile that you're actually looking for. So the the advantage then to me, this is why I love this idea of like choose the experts in each field to do this. Right. If I'm going to grow my organization, 
I need to, I need to have people that run the organization, but to hire in and look for that, create that bullpen for whatever is there. This is why I would push people to, I mean, I always do push people towards you guys because what, what you and the team are doing is just that, right? You're thinking about it like a system, not like a roster. Yes. It's so different, right? This is not bodies. The, they happen to be bodies that are filling functions and roles and titles, but you're a systematic approach to the problem and you understand the problem deeply and you understand the future of the problem, not just the current state of the problem. And it's like, if I'm an organization, the last thing I want to do is have an HR team that I got to trust to be able to do this because they got to hire 15 different roles. They're going to hire engineers. Like most of these tech companies, their biggest thing is hiring engineers and so that flow and hiring engineers, it's like a, it's like a seven week, 22 interview process. Like it's a whole, it's a whole scene. Yeah. Sales quite often. It's like, all right, what you doing for dinner? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just put, you know, I'll meet you on the ice, you know, and yeah. there's a very different dynamic to the sales hiring It's much more human experience. So HR teams really struggle. I find with, being able to really put the right people in the right opportunity. And this is why looking at what you do, like you solve this problem with people using a systematic method and you're creating the backend training so that the people that get there are better prepared for the future. So I don't have yeah, to worry about that. Like this is, exactly. it's a no brainer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think like, you know, HR with HR, right? Like in engineering, it's like, listen, I, I can't hire this guy to do this job that doesn't know this language, this architecture, et cetera. Right. So it's a little, it's a little more black and white in a lot of ways. Um, where in like sales, if you, if you try to make sales black and white, right. You say, well, they need a four-year degree. They need to have done this type of job for two years. They need to have, you know, this type of, um, you know, tool stack uh, experience, you're going to miss so much of the population that actually is a better fit for you and your culture and like your sales motion, whatever that sales motion is, whether it's PLG or outbound led or whatever, because you're now you've tried to make like a thing that is very not black and white, very black and white. And, and we see that sometimes, right? And we kind of, when we work with an organization, we kind of, we put that down. We're like, Hey, like we don't agree. We don't agree with these requirements you have here. And here's the reason why. And here's, here's 10 examples of people that you would miss that we think would be a perfect fit for your organization. So it is, the system is important. And I think getting, getting the human side, the human element into it is critical when it comes to sales. And this is why the, the shift connect the platform. What, what often happens is a, even like I did this with mentoring, I basically became a platform that happened to be wrapped around people because I had to use a platform. I had to use to like take the methods, algorithmically represent them and like make it easy to build these processes to put people together. And, and it worked. It was kind of, it's kind of silly. Like I'd probably get, get away with it on a notepad and, and, a, and a phone call. But at the same time, if I could accelerate it, and learn from it. And that's the most important thing is what you're doing is that you're, as you scale, you're already talking about learning, taking those new processes and those new and applying into what's next. So now here's the hardest question. You know, I often tell people what's the worst thing that's, what's the worst thing that's happened to you that you're, you're thankful for. We're heading into it, right? We, we're heading into the, one of the most difficult financial, you know, markets, at least an unknown but unknowns are scary. Yeah. Uh, so JR, and, and then I'll, I'll tap you as well on this one, Anthony, because I want to hear both your perspectives. Why is, why is now the right time to bring people on board? Because um, sales execution is going to be way more important in times like this than it is. Like you said, anybody can sell when everybody, you know, and when everything is going great, right? And companies are spending money and there's budgets are open and, you know, all these things are going on. Like that's easy, right? We I've been through the, those cycles too. 
and those are fun, right? The dinners are a little more expensive. The cigars are up a notch. Um, but you know, the reality is, is like when, when times get tough, the details matter and sales execution is critical. So I think right now, like, you know, companies are going to be a lot, a lot more, um, kind of intense about the way they bring in new people to their organization. And I think that we're going to offer those intense organizations a way to really understand who they're getting and what they're bringing to the table. And I think, I think, I'm a big believer that the best companies, um, they spend and they grow through downturns, right? We saw it in 08 and all the, all the amazing companies that came out of 08, Eric, like it's wild, right? Um, I think you're going to see, you're going to see the same thing now as the companies that, that continue to focus on growth and execution in, in a couple of years when we come out of this thing, hopefully shorter, who knows, to your point, we have no idea that those are going to be the companies that are going to be the icons of the next 10, 20 years, you know? There is a reason why when you're in white water, you paddle into the waves. You don't sit there waiting for the wave to take you because yeah. the wave will do things to you. Like idle <laughs> is bad and it's hard work and it's risky to paddle, but you, you have to, right? This is because if we wait, if we batten down the hatches and just hope to ride out the storm, when you open the windows in seven months, all those companies that spent into the downturn are going to be coming out the other side with pipeline. Yep. And now you're in pipeline build mode seven months in and the and people are just getting ready to write checks. Too late. They already wrote them to your competitors. If yeah, you don't have the right team doing it, then then that's tough. So Anthony, same thing, given that you're you know, seeing your career turn and now looking through as you're walking into a, a tough economic time, but how exciting is it? Um, for me as, you know, an everyday seller right now in this market, I, I'm extremely excited because um, as JR put it, it's into your original question. I don't know if it's necessarily um, the amount of people that you bring on in this time, it's the amount of people that you bring on that are executing the right way and it's the right people. And the foundation that we're putting in front of these entry level and, and, and sales folks, specifically the business development, the sales development roles, um, they have the ability to come in and, and no matter the market, of course, there's external factors that are going to be outside of their control, but we give them the tool sets, you know, to be able to work through a lot of those challenges originally, because we know right now the magnifying glass, um, you know, is a little bit, um, uh, is held a little bit more on budget, especially internally at a company. And these, these um, individuals who get there, there might not be as good as on, uh, of onboarding. There's not going to be as many people internally to do training. There's not going to be as many training sessions it's probably going to be quicker time to ramp um, and companies need to know that the investment, the investments that they're making are one, they're in good candidates, but also, you know, that candidate isn't going to get five months in um, and get cold feet because, you know, they haven't booked a meeting in a couple of weeks or, um, you know, they haven't sold any, I shouldn't say sold anything right away, but you know, the numbers aren't necessarily there. That's the, that's the beauty of, um, and I, and I heard this recently on a podcast, Eric, uh, the beauty of hiring ex-athletes, although I, I don't necessarily think it's a must um, for a lot of companies, the value of hiring an ex-athlete is they have the ability to understand that something they're doing today um, is going to have not have immediate effects, but it could be six to 12 months out. So you hear and you listen to elite athletes talk about their training in preparation to, you know, potentially like the Olympics or the tour de France or something like that. It's there in a, in a, a book that I don't know if you're referencing earlier, you talked about cycling is atomic habits. It's the ability yeah. to, um, you know, compound a lot of this little stuff that you're doing day by day in hopes that it's eventually going to have a grand outcome for you or the team that you're playing on and being able to rely on your habits throughout this, um, is a lot of what our our candidates that we're setting up for success are going to be able to do. And companies should be looking for that when they're hiring these people is do they have the foundation, you know, to rely on 
in difficult times. It's it's easy to, to say that somebody's resilient, um, but if they're able to show that in the interview process, uh, it's you know companies should be looking for that, and that's why I'm excited because we have a lot of you know those candidates that we can put in front of companies right now that they shouldn't be hesitant to bring somebody on in a financial downturn because these are going to be the individuals that you know get them through it. I love it. Well, there you go. Mic drop moment. Y'all both nailed it. Thank you very much. So for folks that do want to find out, of course, we'll be in Vegas. Hopefully people will, will be able to meet you there. We'll, we'll make sure that we set up some chances to chat with, uh, with other folks that we've got on our sort of sponsor and community support. But ultimately, if people want to get a hold of Shift Group, of course, you go to shiftgroup.io. We'll have links down below. Uh, JR, what's the best sort of inbound uh, email method? What's your favorite, favorite way for them to, to get in touch with you and Anthony? Uh, they can email us at sales at shiftgroup.io. That's perfect. Thing of beauty. I, I, you should have a for the for the technologists. There, you should one says not sales. Like, no, no, you're not talking to a sales guy. So you're talking to a form friendly face. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you that. Well, I like that. Going <laughs> back on Eric on that, uh, some of the interview, the sales interviewing stuff that you talked about earlier. I thought you had a TSN live looking at what my interview process looked like with JR. He was like, we getting dinner tonight? And then two hours later, I was like, I'm a shift group employee. So. What happens? He, he Ricky Roma, you right there. You, and you, you started off and the next thing you know, I'm like, I'm not going to sell you this thing, but let me just show you something. It's pretty exciting. He's lucky, no, yeah, he's lucky that, he's lucky that his fiance's, uh, the, the chicken, that she made that night. The Buffalo chicken wings were incredible. So that had me in a good mood. (laughs) But it's the total package. And that is a hundred percent. That's why I I love, I love the approach that you, you and the team have. So uh, I'm, I'm long shift group. Trust me, if I could invest, I would. Uh, But I know you're all, you're going the, you're going the route right now. You've got strong, you know, customer and revenue driven growth, which is in itself a testament to the methods proving out. And, uh, you know, I couldn't, I'd, I'd tell you it's luck. And as the old saying from, I think it was rounders, Matt Damon, he says, if this game is about luck, then how come it's the same 12 guys at the final table every year? There is luck. There is stuff, but preparation, repetition, ability to persist, ability to ride out difficulty and execute the plan. The score takes care of itself, the and that comes down to the KPIs, the quarterly numbers, the bookings. That it, it, just do the thing, and then the numbers will come. Gentlemen, thank you very yeah. much. And of course, for folks, do check it out. Head on over to gtmdelta.com forward slash live. You can see all the cool stuff we're doing at the event and a lot more. And go to shiftgroup.io because these are fantastic humans, and you need to hire a bunch of their people. So get on it. All right, that's it. We're all out. Right, Eric. <laughs> That was awesome, Eric. Thank you.